The title of our lesson, our sermon tonight is, There's Something About Mary. I want us to talk about Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, the Christ, this evening. I think we have not been comfortable talking about Mary very often, it seems to me. Uh, from my perspective, we've neglected Mary And maybe there are a few reasons why, but one that probably is prominent is because of the overemphasis uh, that the Roman Catholic tradition, for instance, places upon Mary. Uh, Mary has long been venerated uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, a saint, and is often prayed to. Uh, In fact, when I was down in uh, Cusco, Peru, I just on my own went into the cathedral there on the plaza that was built when the Spaniards came in uh, and tore down a lot of the uh, Incan buildings and and temples and holy places and built churches on on those foundations. And uh, the cathedral there was started in the 1500s, finished around uh, sometime in the mid-1600s. And I took a little self-guided walking tour through there. I'm always a sucker when it comes to big, beautiful cathedrals, uh, church buildings. I, I, I love that sort of thing. And so I was curious and I wanted to, you know, check out the architecture and get a taste of the culture. So I walked through there and uh, made several passes through the various portions of the, uh, of the, the cathedral. And I noticed at every pass there was a a shrine uh, to Mary, and there was a lady there, a Peruvian woman who was down on the kneeling bench praying to Mary, to Maria uh, in Spanish, and she had a lot to say to Mary because every time I came by, uh, she was still praying, still fervently praying, and that type of image has, I think, turned us off from Focusing on Mary, I think maybe we're afraid we'll end up focusing too much on Mary. There is a, an entire uh, branch of theological studies in the Roman Catholic tradition that's called Mariology, the study of Mary, the mother of Christ. And so because of that tradition's overemphasis on Mary, I think we have underemphasized Mary. We have avoided talking too much about her, but we really shouldn't. We really should, shouldn't avoid her because she plays a very special role in the gospel story. And one, well, let me share with you just some examples from, from Luke chapter 1 when Gabriel the angel appears to this young woman, Mary. He begins by saying, greetings, O favored one. You are favored by God. He has favored you to play an integral role in the arrival of the Christ into this world. And then a little bit later, when Mary goes and visits her relative Elizabeth, who is six months ahead of her in in her pregnancy, as a much older lady, she and her husband Zachariah thought they would never have children, but you know the story from the Gospel of Luke, uh, that God allowed them to conceive, and they later bore John the Baptist. Uh, When Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, Elizabeth Um, the spirit comes upon her, the child within her leaps in her womb. 
And she, uh, among other things, says to Mary, Blessed are you among women. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. A little bit later, verse 45, Blessed is she, and she's, Elizabeth is here speaking of Mary, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed are you, Mary. And Mary herself acknowledges in her song of praise that we find in Luke chapter 1, stretching from verses 46 to 55, that is often called the Magnificat, which is a Latin word that comes from what Mary says to begin this prayer, which is, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary herself says in verse 48, Behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And so, though we ought not to pray to Mary, though she shouldn't be venerated venerated in a class of believers above any other believers, we believe as uh, Christians we are all saints. She is among us, though she plays a very special role. Role. She acknowledges herself, her need. She acknowledges God as her Savior. She needs a Savior just as much as we do. And she, it was up to her to acknowledge that her own son was her Savior, just as it's important for us to acknowledge that. We do not treat her in a special sort of way, but we ought to, as we would any other um, model character from the Scriptures, we ought to, to seek to learn something from her life. And thankfully, there's a lot to learn uh, from Mary. We shouldn't neglect her in part because of her model faith. And I know that many of you admire Mary for this reason, because of her trust. And in fact, Mary is a fine illustration for our sermon topic this morning when we talked about faith and trust, and the Israelites' lack of trust in God, for him, uh, in him to deliver the land to them. They, they, um, they suffered a, a great deficit of trust when God had said, I will give this land to you, and they didn't believe that they would be able to receive it. Mary, on the other end of the coin, uh, submits to God, is fully trusting, is fully faithful to God. And I want us to notice that tonight in just a few brief moments together. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and read Mary's story and make a few comments along the way. You know, Mary doesn't figure prominently in the New Testament. She, of course, appears at the, toward the beginning of Jesus' life in the birth narrative and the events preceding that we see her again at the uh the wedding in cana where jesus turned water to wine we know that at least for a small uh, period of time uh mary along with her other children opposed jesus ministry and sought to bring him back home because uh he in their opinion was was acting crazy he appeared to be out of his mind we find her again at the cross Jesus uh, makes arrangements for her to be cared for by his, the, the apostle whom he loved, John. But, and there may be another mention or two there, but that's pretty much it. And yet, in the small amount of time that we get to know Mary, we come to admire her faith. Let's start uh, in verse 26. This is where her story begins. 
In the, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or pledged, legally pledged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So what we learn here in these two verses is that Mary is pledged to be married to a man whose name is Joseph. And we learn that Joseph has a very notable lineage, that he is connected to the house of David. And we see that this is extremely important. Uh, In understanding Jesus, it, it, it is through Joseph that Jesus is connected to King David and all the way back to Abraham. He is part of this royal bloodline that comes down through David and eventually arrives at Christ. He is the fulfillment of of all of those prophecies from the Old Testament. But who is Mary? Mary doesn't seem to be connected to this very special family, not directly at least. The scriptures point out that Joseph is of the house of David, but we just see that Luke notes the virgin's name was Mary. Who is she? We don't know. She was probably young. If we think about the age of women when they married in this culture at this time period, she was probably just a teenager because that is when most women would get married and begin their families. All we are told here is that she is a virgin. She's never known a man. And she's from the town of Nazareth. By all accounts, she is an ordinary woman. And she acknowledges as much in her song of praise a little bit later in verse 48. She says, as she praises the Lord, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She acknowledges her lowly, humble place in society. She acknowledges that God has looked upon her, has favored her in spite of her ordinariness, of her humble estate. She's an ordinary woman, but look in verse 28. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now verse 29 might make us think, well, She seems to lack faith here. She's troubled at the saying. She's trying to discern what kind of greeting this might be. But to a woman, a devout Jewish woman in this time period like Mary, it was a fearful thing to experience the presence of God or one of his angels. You've been reading in the Old Testament when the people did not want to come face to face with God. And Moses was their mediator. He was the go-between. He was the one who would go into the presence of God And God would pass along a message to him, through him, to the rest of the people. And so I think this illustrates Mary's reverence and also her thoughtfulness and her discernment in in trying to understand what was happening here and what kind of greeting this angel might be giving to her. her. Her troubled state here, I think, shows her awe and her respect for God. And in this moment, Mary, this very ordinary woman who otherwise would have been forgotten by history, lost to history, is ordinary no more. Because she is chosen for a very special task. And as you well know, God has a long track record of this, of picking, of choosing people 
who are not great in the world's eyes to work his great purposes. And the Bible is a collection of stories about people like Mary, who are quite ordinary, nothing all, all that noticeable or special about them, but favored by God nonetheless, special to God, picked by God to fill a very important role in the great story that he is writing. And not a more special role than the one Mary is chosen for, to be the birth mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 30, we continue, the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So the angel shares a lot of news with Mary. That she would conceive in her womb and bear a son as a virgin. She is told the name for her son, what his name would be. She is told who this child will be and what he will accomplish when he comes along. She's told exactly who he is and the great importance that he possesses. But Mary, in verse 34, is tripped up by what she believes is a well, a pretty practical, important detail here. She says, now, how is this going to be because I am a virgin? You know, Mary is saying, this is not how this kind of thing normally works. God, you might be missing an important piece of the puzzle here. But Gabriel answers her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary's virginity here is highlighted in several places, uh, in part because of the prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Many of you are familiar with this, but it bears repeating that this is a prophecy Luke wants us to make sure is being fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus Christ by the Virgin Mary. The prophet Isaiah declares in chapter 7, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this is a very important prophecy that is being fulfilled. And so Gabriel has an answer to Mary's practical, logistical question here. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and that is how you will be with child. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. And I really want you to notice this part in verse 38. This is what... uh, I want us to focus on. This is kind of the the climax of our thoughts tonight. And Mary said, 
Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And I want you to think about what has happened to this young woman, to this teenage girl, in such a short period of time, in just one vision. Her whole life is upended, is transformed. The course of her life, of her life completely altered. She has seen an angel. The angel has told her she would become with child before knowing the one to whom she is betrothed. Uh, which, this is not addressed right here, but this would have caused a great scandal. You've got to know that's going through Mary's mind. What are people going to think when I turn up pregnant and I'm not yet married to Joseph? And Gabriel has told her exactly who this boy is going to turn out to be. Who he will be from birth. He will be the son of the most high. He will be the one who will sit on the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And this child will grow within you. You will bear this child. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and allow you to conceive this child. Mary has that one simple question. But other than that, when Gabriel is finished, she says, I am God's maid servant. I am God's slave. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, use me in whatever capacity you want to use me. I want to be of your service in your kingdom. Whatever it is, whatever role you have for me to play, uh, Whatever job you want me to do in your kingdom, I'll do it. I am at your disposal. Oh Lord, use me. I'm your servant. Such faith and such trust. It's got to be one of the reasons why God chooses her. Right? That, that had to factor in to his decision. She's, an, yes, an ordinary young woman. Would have otherwise been forgotten to history, but she has extraordinary faith. And yes, Mary is most blessed because she has the privilege of bearing the Son of God. But she's also blessed, called blessed by Elizabeth, called favored by Gabriel, acknowledged by herself that generations down the line will call her blessed also because of her faith. She has great faith. This was not part of the plan. And this is where I struggle. When something comes along and it's not in my schedule, it's not part of my plan, it's not on my radar. None of this was on her radar. She was going to get married to Joseph. The man to whom she had been betrothed for who knows how long, pledged to be married, maybe from when she was a child. She would bear children with her husband, she would raise those children. She would keep house like every other good girl in Nazareth. This was not the plan. And yet, to this angel, she, can, she professes her faith and her trust in a plan that is greater than her own. She's willing to serve in any capacity that God wants her to serve. And she recognizes, to her credit, She has the perspective to recognize in this moment that God is bringing about salvation through her offspring. 
at the end of her song of praise that we have referenced, which I would recommend, well, you've already read it if you've kept up with your Bible reading, but maybe tonight you want to go and read it again. And you want to imagine this young woman speaking, singing, praying these words to God. She says at the tail end of that, verses 54 and 55, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She recognizes that God is bringing about the fulfillment of salvation history through her offspring. That God is using her for this extraordinary purpose and she humbly submits to that. What faith? What trust? What a model for us. What a fine example for us. This morning we saw a negative example. We saw a positive example in Caleb and Joshua, of course. Do not be afraid. If the Lord delights in us, He will give us the strength to take the land. He has promised to give us the land. All we need to do is go in. We are strong enough to do it with God at our side. But we get mostly a negative example from the rest of the Israelites who were filled with fear, who grumbled against the Lord, who said, I wish we'd never left Egypt. At least we had good food to eat in Egypt. Let's pick new leaders who will take us back to Egypt, back into bondage. Why have you brought us out to the wilderness to die, Moses? A negative example. What we have here in Mary is a positive example. Of faith, of trust, of complete reliance and dependence upon God and His plan. And what I want us to do, I want us to try something, a little experiment. How about tomorrow morning when you get up, you pray what Mary said to the angel. You pray, the moment you open your eyes, Lord, I am your servant today. Let it be to me according to your word. Guide me in whatever path you have set out for me today. Use me for whatever purpose you want to use me today. Open my eyes if it's something I wasn't planning on doing. Help my eyes to be open to opportunities around me to bless others, to serve in your kingdom, to expand its borders. Use me today according to your purposes and not mine. Let it be to me according to your word. Lord, I am your servant. I am at your disposal. Pray that and see what happens. See how your day is different. See how your perspective is changed. It's interesting to me, I thought about this as I was reflecting on this passage. Mary's statement of faith is, to me, very similar to Jesus' statement of faith on the night that he was betrayed. You remember when Jesus was in the garden and he was filled with anxiety to the point that he was sweating blood and his disciples wouldn't stay awake and wouldn't stay alert like he told them to. And he prays all night to God. And he says, let this cup pass for me. If there's another way, if there's a plan B, let's do that. But, not what I will, but what you will. That sounds an awful lot to me 
like what Mary says in the Gospel of Luke towards the beginning. Let it be to me according to your word. Not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is the Son of God, of course, possessed this type of faith inherently. He was God in the flesh. He was God the Son. He possessed this faith as the Son of God. But I wonder, I wonder, did he also learn this kind of faith as the Son of Mary? Growing up in his mother's household, did he witness this type of faith from his mom? She possesses this type of faith here Jesus possesses this type of faith. And the question for us is, will we learn to have such faith as well? Faith that says, I am your servant, O Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Tonight, if you need to profess faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, if you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we invite you to do that. If you need prayers for any reason, if you need to be lifted up, if you need to devote your life to Christ anew, rededicate yourself to Him, if you need to confess sin, if you have a spiritual need of any nature, this is the time when you can come and make that known as we stand and sing.